Hi, my name is Lori Barbario. I've been attending church here at Emmanuel for about eight years, on and off. Um, I became a Christian, accepted Jesus into my life when I was a young teenager, grew up in a Christian home, um, and I've known Jesus for decades. That was a good start, um, but unfortunately it didn't stay that way. Um, I was kind of drawn away as a young adult um, into things that looked fun and exciting and things that I thought were going to make me happy, and you know, for a while they did. Um, I married a man who was not a Christian. He didn't know Jesus, and yeah, that didn't end well, but I do have three beautiful daughters. I definitely didn't have a straight path in life. I would describe my Christian journey as back and forth, sideways. Um, at different times in my life, I would draw closer to God and um, seek out Jesus, and I found that my Christian walk was more of a complacent, what I would consider an average Christian life. I've suffered in my life from anxiety, internal conflicts, and panic attacks. I started smoking cigarettes when I was 19 years old. During the pandemic, I started tuning in to Pastor Mark's messages very faithfully every Sunday. That was very easy to do from home. And I have to say that I really believe that those times of listening to the messages were planting seeds in my life for what, for what was to come. I could feel God leading me into a deeper relationship with himself, um, but I did still keep him at arm's length because I knew that the changes he wanted me to make, I was either not willing or did not think I could make them. I felt that sense of desperation. Um, I knew that I wasn't gonna be able to continue on like this. And I prayed big, like Pastor Mark talks about in his messages. I prayed big, I asked God for forgiveness. Um, I said, I can't do this anymore. I can't live like this. I, I need to have you at the center, the very center of my life, not just on the outskirts. And as it turned out, I was uniquely qualified to be a, a really above average Christian because what he required was for me to be weak and dependent. And I was very weak and he, uh, he forgave me. My anxiety and my tension began to slowly ebb away. Um, I started to feel more freedom in my life. I was able to, with God's help, give up the smoking cigarettes that I had done for 42 years. Uh, that is not something I could have done on my own. And for me, that was a huge step. Um, and God rewarded that with such a sense of peace and joy that happiness started to take hold in my life. I felt joy, I had, uh, the joy of my salvation was back. I felt so unworthy and so blessed at the same time. I also attended a few of the worship services that they had and I was able to share just a very little bit in one of those services and Everybody rejoiced with me, and it was such a it was such an amazing feeling of being a part of a, the family of God. Uh, for the first time, I felt like I had found a home here. When I came to church, I felt like I had people to say hello to, and 
you know, it just started to feel like a much more comfortable place um, that I could, you know, be myself and not try to kind of hide things or make them feel, you know, try to make myself feel like something I wasn't. I could just be me. I would encourage anybody who feels weak and desperate or who just feels like they're average or just is keeping God and what he wants at an arm's length to, to just give it over to him. I, I never realized this deep sense of peace um, from having Jesus at the center of my life. I think we just need to stay tuned. I feel God working um, in my heart, in the lives of my family. There are things happening at work. Um, I can see his hand just about in every place. So I would encourage you to just turn everything over to God. He still heals. He still blesses. And he's still waiting. He is our living hope. A shout out to Lori Barbario. Right now, she is at a care facility that she works at, live streaming this service. So now we have another congregation. And second hour, she's going to jump in the car and run over and worship here with her family. Now, what we're doing is every Sunday of Lent, we are sharing a faith story. Somebody in the church family who Jesus has become more than a name to them, and they're sharing their own spiritual journey about how they came to Christ or how they renewed their life with Christ and how Christ has changed them and is changing them. And so I just want to encourage you, you're not going to want to miss any Sunday in Lent because every story is going to be compelling. So welcome to Lent. Lent is a gift that God gives us. It's a time of preparation as we move toward Easter. It's a time to reflect on questions like, Am I really growing spiritually? How do I know I'm growing spiritually? Are there things in my life that are hindering me? Is my love for Jesus and people growing or is my heart shrinking? Hopefully all of these questions are going to be answered during the next 40 days as we come together. I'm beginning a series this morning called Fatal Attractions, Breaking Free of the Seven Deadly Sins. Did you know that the church historically has always come up with seven streams, large streams of sins in which all the other sins flow from? Just seven. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about the deadly sin of pride and how to break free of it. So to do so, go in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 13 together. Would you stand, please, as we read God's word? <clears throat> the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day, he asked the woman, did God really say... 
you must not eat from the fruit of any of the trees in the garden. Of course we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only from the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You will not die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. Uh, she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it, and then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool of the evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you? You were naked. The Lord asked, Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, What have you done? She said, The serpent deceived me. That's why I ate it. Holy Spirit, these next few moments, would you... Talk to each of us about what it is inside of us, like the old hymn says, that is prone to wander. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, the garden had everything in it that Adam and Eve needed to flourish. It had two trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And God said, you should never eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And yet they did. So the big question this morning is, why? Why did Adam and Eve eat of the one tree that they weren't supposed to eat from? Why did they listen to a slimy serpent risking everything and willfully disobeying God? Why couldn't they leave the tree of the knowledge of good and evil alone? Why didn't Adam take Eve's hand and say, come on, honey, let's get out of here? The answer is surprising. It's pride. I would like to suggest to you that pride is not what you think it is. We all have this image in our mind of a prideful person, and most of us would say to ourselves, oh, that's not me. But what if pride was different than what you thought it was? See, there's good pride and bad pride. I'm talking about the bad pride today, but there's also good pride, right? You, you, you want to be proud of your children, your grandchildren. You want to be proud of some of the achievements that you have. So that's a good pride. That's a natural pride. But there's also a dark pride pride that actually shrinks your heart, doesn't expand it, that actually hinders you in your relationship with Christ, not expanding your relationship with Christ. So this morning, I want to give you three definitions of pride, and then we're going to look at the antidote, okay? So let's begin. What is pride? 
What does pride look like in your life and in my life? Number one, pride is not accepting God's no because you believe you know what's best for you even more than God. Adam and Eve ate the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because they did not accept God's no and believed that they knew what was best for them. And of course, it blew up in their face. Have you ever noticed that there's a lot of no's in the Bible? There's lots of lists. The Apostle Paul especially loved lists. I don't know whether he was OCD, but he just, you know, he'd come up with this list. And this is what a righteous life looks like. Bam, 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 bam. And this is what an unrighteous life looks like. And he'd just give this list. Here's what you need to know about God's no's. Every no is not to punish you, it's to protect you. Every no. Every no in the Bible is a guardrail. It's a seatbelt. So I thought this morning, I just, I don't know, I, I randomly, to be honest with you, during the message preparation, I just randomly picked a passage of scripture that has a bunch of no's in it. And so here's one from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. The Apostle Paul says, Do you not realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not fool yourselves. Those who indulge in, here's the list. Ready? Those who indulge in sexual sin, worship idols, who commit adultery, or are male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or are thieves or greedy, or drunkards, or abusive, or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, some of you were like that, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So, let me look at the list for just a moment. You mean to tell me that sexual sin is, is a no? That's right. Sexual sin is anything, any sexual activity outside the bounds of marriage. God says, seatbelt. Worshiping idols is a no. This is where most of us in Western culture are like, okay, I do not bow down in front of this idol. I totally get that. But you know, the definition of an idol is a physical representation of God. So hang, hang on. Many, many people wear crosses, nothing wrong with wearing a cross. But I know some people that wear a cross because it's their lucky charm. They're convinced that they're going to have a bad day if they don't put their cross on. I know some people that have coins of saints. And they have, whenever they travel, they have this, this coin of this saint that's the saint of travel. And they don't think about going on any long trip without having this coin in their pocket because they're convinced that this coin is the lucky charm, that's an idol. It's something physical that represents an invisible God. Is that wrong? Yeah, it is wrong. Um, having an emotional or physical affair with somebody who's married, is that wrong? Yes. Practicing homosexuality is a sin. Is that wrong? Yes. 
The Bible never addresses orientation. If you have an orientation toward homosexuality, you can be a safe, sanctified, filled the Holy Spirit person. But participating in a homosexual act, God calls that a sin. It's a seatbelt. Stealing, taking something that's not yours. Is that a sin? Yep. Being greedy, not being content with what you have. Is that a sin? Yep. Getting drunk. Is that a sin? Bible does not say that drinking is wrong. It says that drunkenness is wrong. By the way, I don't, you know, I don't know what you think my Sunday morning preparation is. I always check the news because I want to make sure that there's not something crazy going on and I don't know about it before I get to church. On my news feed today was an article. Ready for this? A new massive study shows that drinking one glass of wine a day shrinks your brain. I don't know about you, I need all I can get. <laughs> I don't want to do anything that shrinks my brain. And you know what? There's a cumulative effect. The more you drink and the longer you drink, the more your brain shrinks. Some of us are like this. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying drinking's wrong. I'm just saying the Bible says drunkenness is a sin. Being abusive is a sin in your speech or being physically abusive. And then, of course, cheating people. Now, flip it around for just a moment. This list I've given you, imagine, imagine for a moment what the world would be like if everybody just did what, what the Bible said and didn't cheat anybody, didn't steal from anybody. Imagine all the marriages that would still be intact. Imagine all the homes that would still be put together if nobody had an, an adulterous relationship. It'd be paradise. We'd be going back to the Garden of Eden. When are we going to learn that when God says no, it's a seatbelt? And yet, there is something inside of us that says, I don't want anybody telling me what's right and wrong and what I should do. I'm the boss of me. That, friends, is what the Bible calls pride. And that's exactly what Adam and Eve fell into. They took a look at that tree, the only tree they couldn't eat from. They looked at it and went, you see that fruit? Oh, there's no other fruit like it. I've got to have it. Yeah, but God said, I think God's withholding something from me. That's where they went. I think God's withholding something from me. When God said no, he didn't have my best interests at heart. That's pride. Number two, pride is forgetting who you are and living out of your false self. Adam and Eve had it all, a perfect house, a perfect health, perfectly loved by God and each other, a perfect relationship with God, and they blew it. Why? Listen to this. They forgot the goodness and the grace of God. And they thought that God was withholding something better for them. Have you ever forgotten the goodness of God in your own life? It starts with the question, who am I? 
Here's how some people answer that question. I am what I do. When I do good things, I feel good about myself. When I fail, I'm depressed. When I get older and can't do much, I'll try to look back on my life and say, I did something good. I am what I do. For some people, they answer the question, I am what I have. I have good health, I have a good education, I have good parents, I have a good job. I have lots of good things. But of course, what happens when those things go away? Because you and I will lose all of those one day. Some people answer the question, who am I, by saying, I am what other people say about me and think about me. When people speak well of me, I feel good. I walk with my head held high. When people say bad things about me, I'm depressed. I feel sad, and it cuts me deeply to the core of my being. Brothers and sisters, you are not what you have, you are not what you do, and you are not what other people say and think about you. Let me introduce you to a few false selves Veronica Vanity. Veronica always has a mirror in front of her face. Everything about her appearances has to be just right. She has to have the right hair. She has to have the right clothes. She has to have the right shoes. She has to have the right makeup. She has to have the current it style. But here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with anything I've just said. Except for Veronica, she has to have it. She needs to be a certain image because it feeds what is lacking in her soul. So she has to present herself as put together and perfect because she is what other people think and say about her. Then there's Martin materialism. Martin wouldn't dream of living any place but in the best neighborhood. Dressing in designer clothing, driving high-end cars, wouldn't be caught dead in a thrift store has all the latest technology. Is there anything wrong with all of those things? No, there's nothing wrong with any of the things that Martin enjoys. The problem with Martin is he has to have them because they're feeding his soul. Because he thinks he is what he has. And then there's Oliver Opposite. Oliver's opposite pride. He doesn't dress well. In fact, sometimes he looks sloppy because he's too spiritual to care about such things. He drives a Chevy and he loves it. He's middle class and he likes it that way. And Oliver, he has a chip on his shoulder about all the educated idiots out there that don't have any common sense. You know what I'm talking about? It's Oliver opposite. He's so not prideful, he's prideful that he's not prideful. Why do we care about what people think or say about us? Why do we struggle with our image? It's because we've forgotten the goodness and the grace of God. Listen, I just talked about this in the last series, Ephesians chapter 1. We are dearly loved. We've been chosen by God. We've been adopted into his family. And he did so because he wanted to do it. It brought him great joy. You know who you are? 
You have the favor of God on you. You don't have to stoop to lean into stuff and things to try to feed your false self. I just finished a trilogy of books by Henry Nouwen. If you don't know who Henry Nouwen is, probably ought to check him out. Very deep thinker. Very, he was a Catholic priest his entire life. Taught at Yale, taught at Harvard, walked away from it. Ended up in Toronto, Canada at a home for the mentally disabled and became their pastor and spent the last remaining years of his life just loving on people who were most vulnerable. He said these words, the greatest trap in life is not success, popularity, or power, but self-rejection. The greatest trap in life is self-rejection, doubting who we really are. When we have come to believe the voices that call us worthless and unlovable, then those other things are easily perceived as attractive solutions. You know why people are attracted to God's nose? They're trying to feed something inside of them that they perceive as lacking. You, if you are a child of God, are lacking no good thing. God is not withholding anything from you. Whatever he says no to is a seatbelt. There to protect you. You just got to have a little bit of leap of faith to go, okay, I'm not going to trust in what I think is best for me. I'm going to have to trust God because he's the higher authority. Three, pride is covering up our vulnerabilities. Verse 7 says, at that moment their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves up. Adam and Eve got what they wanted and discovered, it, and discovered that it wasn't what they expected. Be careful what you ask for, you may get it. And when you get it, it may be something you never dreamed. For the first time, Adam and Eve felt shame. For the first time, Adam and Eve felt shame. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover up their most vulnerable parts. And we have been doing that ever since. Pride makes us cover up our vulnerabilities so no one can see, so we can't get hurt. And yet the key to vulnerability is the key to vulnerability is connecting with other people, because when we are most vulnerable, people say to themselves, "They're just like me." What I've discovered in the Christian community, I do think our church is different. But what I have discovered in the Christian community is that most of us have learned to have just enough vulnerability to look authentic, but not enough of vulnerability to receive healing. So we're involved in fake vulnerability. Enough to say in our false selves we're vulnerable, but not enough to receive healing. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. You know what healing is? 
when you appropriately, I'm not talking about standing up on a Sunday morning and just laying it all out there, but appropriately in the right spaces saying who you really are and what you really struggle with. That's what last week was about. I was preaching in another church last week to help out a friend who's on sabbatical. And so I asked Pastor Ann, hey, we're on this last of the series and we want to talk about addictions. And what I thought was so beautiful about last week is you heard a testimony of somebody in our church family who became vulnerable and has received healing. What's kept in the dark never gets healed. What's exposed to light is healed. So what is the antidote to pride? You know it. It's humility. James chapter 4, verse 6 and 10, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Pride is self-righteous, humility is selfless and compassionate. Pride is often critical of others, humility sees the best in others. Pride must be right and seeks to win every argument. Humility yields the right to be right. Pride thinks that they know someone else's heart. Humility gives people the benefit of the doubt. Pride says about ministry opportunities, they're lucky to have me. Humility says, I am fortunate to serve. Pride says, look how successful I am. Humility says, I can do nothing of lasting meaning and significance apart from Christ. Pride serves to be recognized and to receive ego strokes. Humility serves because it's the right thing to do. So how do you become a humble person? By choosing it. The Apostle Paul said something very enlightening about his own personal philosophy of ministry and how he kept himself on track. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 15, verse 31. I die daily. And that's what it is, isn't it? It's dying daily to Mark. Because if I don't die daily to Mark, Mark rises up. And Mark wants to do what Mark wants to do. And Mark wants to be the boss of Mark. But if I die daily, I get the seatbelt on. So, a little bit of pastoral humor here. I have a card that's a prayer. It's called, I choose you over me. And here's the prayer. 
Gracious Father, I too often struggle with being prideful. I am sometimes critical and judgmental and self-righteous. I am more full of me than you. Today, I choose humility. I put myself under your authority. I choose compassion. I give up my right to be right. I choose you over me. So the worship team is going to come and sing a closing song. And I've been trying to figure out all week, how do I end this message? And I found the perfect way. All of you who are prideful, come up and get this card. That's it. I got my card. I choose you over me. I choose God over my authority to call the shots. I choose my family over me. I choose to serve over being served. I choose you over me. Would you stand, please? As the worship team sings, if pride is one of those things in your life that you really need to say, I die daily to, why don't you just come up and get a card and dent your pride a little bit. Step out. I mean, other people are going to see me. Yeah, they should. Because that dents your pride. That's what being humble is. Okay? Now, seriously, if this isn't an issue in your life, then don't come up. I'm just saying, if you're like me, I got to die daily.